And the next voice will be that of Mr. Albert K. Bender. Welcome to all the delegates to the 7th Annual Congress of Scientific Ufologists and to all those officials who have once again made it all possible. It is with great pride that I address this wonderful group and my only regret is that I could not personally attend. But through the kind permission of the real pioneers in ufology, Mr. Gray Barker and Jim Mosley, I have been granted the privilege of speaking to this gathering. Many here have without any doubt read the book Flying Saucers and the Three Men, and therefore what I am about to relate will not be new. However, I would like to rehash the incidents that led up to more recent happenings. I have completed a manuscript for a second book telling of these new incidents in great detail. But so as not to make this a long discourse, I will not enlarge on each one. I will leave that to the book which Mr. Barker is reviewing at the present time. After my message, I would like all to personally speak to Mr. Barker if you want to read more about what has taken place. I also want to state here and now that many have the opinion that small fortunes have been made from flying saucers and the three men. But may I tell you now that this is not true, and I have personally donated mine to charity. The subject of my discourse this evening will be the world of Kaik. I'm not sure how many in the audience have read my book, but for those that haven't, I will first give you a short resume of what happened to me so that I may get to the main subject matter of tonight's message. In the year 1952, I organized a group called the International Flying Saucer Bureau one of the first organizations to study UFO and try to diagnose the many stories that were appearing in the daily newspapers about sightings. The group expanded until we had branches all around the world. We published a quarterly called Space Review, which contained news of interest to all members about UFOs in general. During the month of July 1952, I was plagued by many strange incidents involving such things as mysterious phone calls which seemed to convey messages to me telepathically to discontinue my study of the UFO problem. I was annoyed by a strange person with glowing eyes at a local cinema to me telepathically to discontinue my study of the UFO problem. I was annoyed by a strange person with glowing eyes at a local cinema, and bluish lights and the smell of sulfur seemed to dominate my room at times. As I walked along the city streets at night, I had the feeling that I was being lifted off the ground and bluish lights would appear above my head. I was tormented by excruciating headaches almost every other day. An uncanny atmosphere enveloped me, and I had the sensation 
that someone or something was trying to gain control of my very body. In March of 1953, the IFSB conducted an experiment in mental telepathy. It was to be a mass participation by all members throughout the world. Mimeographed copies of the experiment were sent out to all members showing the exact time and the message they must convey. At the exact moment, I myself joined in the endeavor and proceeded to send out the communications to any space beings that might be able to receive it. Little did I know at the time that I would be the one contacted. During my younger years, I had delved into the occult and the supernatural and also learned from my parents that some of my ancestors were punished for the study and practice of witchcraft. I wondered at that time if some of this power might have rubbed off on me and that I might too possess a hidden force. My answers to all this were forthcoming this very night when I suddenly felt a strange chill over my whole body and could feel myself floating in the air above my bed. A strange message was conveyed to me which was telepathic in its entirety. It went like this. We have been watching you and your activities. Please be advised to discontinue delving into the mysteries of the universe. We will make an appearance if you disobey. We have a special assignment and must not be disturbed by your people. We are among you and know your every move. So please be advised, we are here on your earth. With this the voice faded away, but I could sense something was watching me. My body seemed to drop suddenly and I once again regained my senses and realized I was on my bed. The room was filled with yellow mist, and not far from my bed was a shadow, resembling that of a man, but as I made a move to rise from the bed, it vanished. The yellow mist was gradually fading and my room was returning to normal. The smell of sulfur lingered in my room for almost two days. In July of the same year, when I returned from a summer vacation, I was visited by three men in black. We have heard so much about the three men in black since this first instance. They seemed to float off the floor but wore clothes similar to an earth clergyman. They frightened me half to death since I did not know they were present until I got a strange prickly sensation on the back of my neck as if I could feel someone staring at me. When I turned about, there they were, looking at me from the center of the room with their strange glowing eyes. Their eyes seemed to penetrate my very soul, and I experienced a burning sensation, extreme pain above my right eye. They did not speak, but I could understand the message they were conveying to me. It definitely was telepathic, and here is the message. You have dedicated yourself to the solution of the strange problem of unidentified objects in your atmosphere. Your interest is deep and sincere, and you have devoted many hours to it. We also know that such interest and determination might lead to something that could bring you harm. We feel that you are a very good contact for us 
on your planet Earth. You are an average person, and we know that what we tell you and show you will not be believed by anyone you might tell. You are not a person of great renown on your planet, therefore we have nothing to fear at present. We have a purpose for being here, and we will be here for some time yet. We must not be disturbed in our ultimate goal. As you see us here, we are not in our natural form. We have found it necessary to take on the look of your people while we are here. This is mainly used as a means of returning here without being detected by anyone. We have made numerous contacts with Earth by means of craft from our base. And at present we have craft hidden at a remote spot on your planet. We have found it necessary to go to great extremes at times to frighten off your Earth people, and it has resulted in some deaths. We also found it necessary to carry off Earth people to use their bodies to disguise our own. We wish to keep in touch with you and tell you many things, because one day you will write about this, and we are certain that nobody will believe you, but you will be much wiser than anyone else on your planet. You will know what is out there in space, and you will know what the future holds for your mankind. You will see all three of us again. We will leave with you a small piece of metal similar to your coins. It is to be kept in a secret place of your own. We wish to have you come with us at a time to be announced to you soon. Thus was the gist of the message that was conveyed, and true to their promise, they did return to me. I was actually taken astrally from my room to a room within a glass dome, which certainly must have been the inside of a small spacecraft. Here, by means of screens similar to our TV screen, I was shown the marvels of their planet somewhere out in the vast limits of space. The most outstanding thing explained to me was that all celestial bodies in the universe are created from one central body. They claim that their planet is much older than ours, since they were created long before Earth. All of the solar systems are formed from the central source, which is so powerful that you could not even approach it by light years. It is a vast glowing body so immense one cannot calculate its density. It is the creator of all of us, and more families of planets are constantly being formed and thrown into orbits of their own. At the outer edge of this vast system, there is a great dark void where no planets have yet been formed. But as new systems at the center are formed, the dark void seems to push away to make room for the new bodies. They explained that their main purpose here on Earth was to extract a substance from our seawater. Their main laboratory for processing was located in the Antarctica, where a large mother ship was buried under the ice. The smaller craft were actually ca carrying the water to this lab for conversion. That they were using this extracted material for some purpose was not revealed to me. This was kept a secret as long as I was in contact with these people. At a much later date, I was taken astrally to the lab in the Antarctica and witnessed the process they were using. I saw flying saucers landing and taking off from the mother ship as they brought in their supply from the sea. However, my main topic is not the, what happened to me then, 
but more about the planet from which these people originated, Kayik. I would like to tell you how they live and about their environment. All of this was shown to me by means of small TV-like screens in a room inside the mothership, and the person lecturing to me was one of the exalted ones from the planet. By exalted one, it means that on the planet Kayak there are three sexes, male, female, and a third sex, not like any of the other two. They are few, but are considered to be the exalted ones and sort of act like leaders and are looked upon as the learned ones. Kayak is about twice the size of Earth. The surface of the planet is not suitable for living. Looking at it through a telescope, you would see a surface so similar to the surface of our own moon. However, the craters would be entrances to cities rather than the pit marks of meteors. Connected underground, but are vast in size. In order to get from one city to another, they have elevated platforms inside these craters, which raise and lower themselves, revealing towers and landing platforms for their small craft. Inside these towers are transparent tubes with small elevators which carry people to the landing fields. This is their only means of travel above ground. Below the surface in their cities they have monorails which operate freely throughout the vast system of buildings connected by transparent tubular roadways supported only by the structures they connect. These monorail cars operated in the center of the tubular roadways in both directions and pathways on each side provided walks for people. At various points throughout the city there are large areas free of buildings where vegetation and large pools of clear water are permitted to exist. The vegetation, unlike any I had ever seen in my life, the trees are of odd shapes, yet they bear a fruit. Small plants close to the ground resemble our pineapple plants, but contain a cluster of fruit inside a transparent center. I was told that the fruit was removed from this center and almost immediately another cluster started forming. It is an endless supply. The only animals that exist on the planet other than the people themselves are small shelled water creatures that live in the clear crystal bodies of water. They have no such things as horses, cows, sheep, dogs, cats, and so on. These people live mostly on vegetables and fruit and a small fungus type of plant similar to our mushrooms. This fungus plant is the main food on the planet for water creatures that live in the clear crystal bodies of water. They have no such things as horses, cows, sheep, dogs, cats, and so on. These people live mostly on vegetables and fruit and a small fungus type of plant similar to our mushrooms. This fungus plant is the main food on the planet and relished as much as a steak would be here on Earth. It is prepared in many ways and from the explanation I received it took on several different flavors. The shelled water creatures are captured and eaten only at certain times of their year. At other times they are considered poisonous. They consumed the water and made many other type drinks from it mixing with the fruit juices. The water is a mineral type water without any impurities. They have no seawater on their planet. They told me that the water in these small pools is actually pumped from a source deep inside the planet itself by an intricate set of machinery. Many of you are probably wondering about the lighting underground. 
I too asked about this and was told that the ceiling of the underground cities is actually lighted by a substance in the rock itself which gives off a glow much stronger than electricity. They have harnessed some of this and use it for powering their machinery. Night is unknown to them since it never gets dark underground. They have periods when they would rest or what we call sleep. Their eyes are equipped with more than one lid and when they close them it shuts out all the light. It is very dark on the surface of the planet, however, since the solar body of their system is too far off to give them any heat or light. They are accustomed to extreme temperatures of cold and do not have heated houses like ours. Underground, the temperature changes from that on the surface, but still too cold for Earth people to exist. They have no population explosion on Kaik. This is controlled since the average person lives almost three or four times as long as an Earth being. The females lay eggs. These eggs are hatched out when and if someone dies by accident or old age, or when the great blackness covers the surface of the planet and people are unable to escape and reach safety in time. This blackness is in the form of a toxic gas which kills instantly. It only happens once in every four years of their means of measuring time. It gives no warning and envelops the planet in a matter of seconds. The unlucky ones above surface, not under cover, die immediately. There was one race on Kaik, just one. They have no problem of racial prejudice. They have no real ruler. Every person is independent, but they look to the exalted ones for guidance and a sort of spiritual advice. There is no greed, there is no crime. They have an endless supply of food and water. Everyone takes pride in keeping their cities humming. There is no monetary system, and therefore no one gets wages for work they perform. Everyone shares in the fruits of their labor. There is no want as each person has everything that is needed to sustain life. Rest periods of long duration follow the work periods. Love on Kaik is free love, as there is no such thing as marriage. No one raises a family of children. This is all undertaken by a special group that works in the vault where the eggs are kept. The strangest thing of all to me was the fact that all people on Kaik resemble each other in their own respective sex. A male would have no reason to want another mate that is more beautiful or charming because they are so much alike in features. By special mesmerism, they are capable of changing their appearance into almost anything. They must, however, have a picture or a sample of what they change into. They cannot duplicate or copy without something to reproduce from. This is to scare any person that may do them harm. While I was under the power of these people from the planet Kaik, I was subjected to a ray which emitted a powerful ultraviolet type of light. They told me that I would be protected from any earthly disease and that I would be given a power that would come gradually. This power was to be realized sooner than I anticipated. Already I am frightened to death of what I have already accomplished with this uncanny force that has been planted in my body. The power brings no good to myself, but only aids me in bringing harm to my enemies. It is an evil thing and I cannot control it when it overtakes me. It started with many small things which at first seemed only coincidence, but then as they continued to happen, I began to get worried. 
At the office, for instance, where I worked in Bridgeport, many times people will get you provoked with the work at hand. Perhaps many of you have had this happen, and you say things under your breath about the boss, a fellow employee, or so on. Well, it started with small things such as this. For instance, a fellow employee got me in trouble with the works manager, and I was called into his office. After the lecturing from the executive, I went back to my office, and after a throbbing in my head and a strange feeling of floating, I wished this fellow employee would have an accident. About two days later, he fell out of a tree and injured his back keeping him out of work for three weeks. While living in uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut, I used to ride the bus to work each morning. And of course, all buses had signs inside stating that no smoking was permitted. I'm a bit allergic to cigar smoke, and if I'm near it, I get a feeling of nausea. I complained to an individual on the bus one morning that he should put a cigar out as it bothered me. But he only said that if it bothered me, I should move to another seat. This I did. But the very next morning when he got on the bus, he sat in front of me again, although there were, no, there were plenty of other seats. I tapped him on the shoulder and asked him politely if he would put it out, but he said no. I then went to see the driver and told him about it. The driver then turned and told the individual to put out a cigar. He did, but the very next day he started all over again. He kept this up continually whenever he found a seat empty in front of me or in back of me. The evil began to build up in my mind. And every time I thought of him, terrible thoughts crept into me, of all things to wish upon a person. I wished he would burn himself severely with his cigar. About a week later, I noticed him missing from the bus, and each morning thereafter, he did not show up. I gathered he was on vacation, so I felt relieved to know that I would not be bothered from the cigar smoke for at least two weeks. The next week, he still was not on the bus. And I asked someone on the bus about him, and they seemed surprised that I did not know about it. He had burned to death in his apartment when his mattress caught on fire from a cigar. Then I remembered having seen an article somewhere in the paper about a death by smoking in bed, but never connected with him since I did not know his name. Again, I was shocked to think that I had wished this thing upon him and, and that it really materialized. Did I cause it or not? I still don't know. Another incident that almost certainly proved to me that I must have had some power to cause the occurrence took place in 1964. A person in the Bridgeport area that was to me a real friend came to me around Christmas time and wanted to borrow a sum of money as he was in dire need of cash. I felt sorry for him since it was the holiday season and drew money out of the bank and gave it to him with the promise that I would get it back within a reasonable time, of course. Two months went by and I did not see or hear from him. I made a call at his home and his wife would always say he was out. I finally met him on the street one day and he tried to avoid talking to me. But I went up and grabbed him by the arm and asked him what was wrong. He didn't say anything at first and then I asked him outright why he didn't stop around about the money I had loaned him. He then said outright, I don't know what you are talking about. I never got any money from you. At this he walked away and I didn't see him again. I tried calling his home by phone, but could never get an answer. This bothered me so much that a strange malice began to develop inside me. My head throbbed and pained every time I thought about him and what he had done to a friend. Evil thoughts entered my mind, and I wished to do terrible things to him. I would lie in bed at night, and as these thoughts took control, I kept hoping that he would suffer a terrible death of all things. 
I know, I know that this sounds horrible, but these things were not my real intentions, but this evil thing was building up in my mind, and I couldn't rid myself of it. This monstrous desire continued to develop, and about two weeks later, this person, while driving on the parkway one Sunday evening, fell asleep at the wheel and ran off the road after hitting an abutment and ended up in a clump of trees. He was hidden from the view of the road, and no one had witnessed the accident. He was pinned in the car and could not move, yet one of his main arteries had been severed. He died from loss of blood before he was discovered. I was staggered by this incident when I read about it in a newspaper. Did I or didn't I have something to do with this man's death? I could not rightly know. I had wished this upon him, but did not dream that it would take place. These terrible pains that I would uh, experience before wishing this evil upon people. At first the sharp pains darted in and out of my consciousness, pricking and stabbing my eye with intent but minor annoyance. Before long the pains came at regular intervals, jabbing their spiked blows at my eye and head with incessant hammering. Lying down somewhat eased the conflict in my aching head, but soon even this did not alleviate the situation. The pains, in fact, were growing worse, and each new assault brought greater discomfort to me. I have known friends and others who live with semi-constant headaches, some afflicted with the awful variety of migraine. These terrible pains come and go as they will, and each every one the doctor has his reasons for. But my affliction was not merely a brutal headache. I learned this, quite to my despair, shortly thereafter with all these incidents taking place. Soon I realized that along with the acute pains over my right eye and in the back of my head, this also strange forceful compulsion would overtake me, a compulsion that defied natural instincts and betrayed me to thoughts I had never before conjured in my mind. The mesmerizing depths of this affliction rendered me helpless to combat the personal viewpoint and natural willpower. Something, someone, was crushing and distorting my values and judgment. By means of this agitated and curiously undetectable, but no less vicious headache. Under their dreadful weight, I suffered in combat with my own for vital forces of decency and dignity. But it was futile and an impossible battle. Many times after this, even when I moved to California, this thing came with me. As you may all know, I moved to California to Bakersfield to manage a motel along with my wife. And while at the motel, many strange incidents took place, which will be revealed in the second book, if and when it is ever published. And these incidents are startling, and I thought that I was all finished with the three men in black but actually I haven't finished with them. They're still about. I thought they had gone. And whatever everyone is seeing today here on earth is still with us. And I'm frightened. And I have tried to do and live the way I should live, but this thing is in the shadows in the background and keeps coming forth. I moved from Bakersfield to Los Angeles when all of these incidents took place. And at the present time, I am living in L.A. and enjoying it now and haven't been disturbed. But I have this strange power yet that wants to wish evil upon people.
And in addressing you this evening, I would like to say that it isn't anything that anyone would want to experience or go through very long without suffering for it. And although I have been suffering with the incidents of wishing evil upon people, it has also brought me good, which will be brought forth in the book. But this good does not conquer the evil. The evil is much greater. And therefore, in closing this evening, I would like to wish Gray Barker and Jim Mosley and everyone else here at this gathering this evening uh, the best of luck, best wishes for a very good time and only wish that I could have been here to enjoy all of these lectures and talks that will be given. So I will close now and do hope that many of you will drop me a line if and when you have time.